What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Napa know-how. Chase Elliott here letting you know that when you spend $25 a Napa this month, you get a free Chase Elliott racing hat. Need a set of brakes? How about a new battery? Both are hat-worthy. Replacing an air filter, then adding on wiper blades and headlamps just to break $25? That works, too. Go get your free Chase Elliott hat today. Quality parts, helpful people, free hats. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, while supplies last. Offer ends 331.19. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Let it bump though. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. We are going to keep our season preview train rolling and I, Dan Favalli, am coming at you without Andy Bailey this time, but I am very excited to be joined by Fred Katz, the Oklahoma City Thunder beat writer for the Norman Transcript, and as you may have guessed, that means he is here to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. How are you doing tonight, Fred? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing spectacular. Um, th- there's not a lot to talk about with the Thunder. Did they even do anything over the offseason? No, nah, nothing. They got like Ray Felton, and that was it. <laughs> Ray Felton was their biggest addition. Um, I, starting at kind of the just collective five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves it's delicious energizing and comes in three amazing flavors with zero sugar and four calories it fits your life with its compact size and portability it goes where you go to the campsite the hiking trail the beach without weighing you down five-hour tea caffeine from green tea leaves release your natural sight from the makers of five-hour energy for more information visit five-hour energy.com level here their offseason was absolutely phenomenal and i know everyone will point to the paul george trade uh i'm but i'm still just fascinated by andre roberson's contract uh, patrick patterson's contract and now just this team's overall versatility so was this an offseason in, in terms of how big of a win it was did it kind of take you as a beat writer off guard at all to the extent that they were able to really make a dent in the off season. Yeah, it did. Um, and, and I'm with you. I think like Robertson's contract was, was a really good one and it ended up being less. I mean, they offered him an extension in the fall. That was more than the contract that he signed for. And, uh, yeah, Patterson got way below, I think what a lot of people thought he'd get from market value. I mean, I think people two years ago and people made this point like two years ago, Patrick Patterson was was in a front court with Bismack Biombo, and people thought he was better than Biombo. Now Patterson's contract in 2017 is less than his total money that he got is less than what Biombo got last summer per year. Like Biombo got 17 a year, and Patterson got 16.4 total over three years. Like it's it's amazing the difference between the off seasons that we saw with just the quality of contracts that you can get for the guys who. Who ended up just kind of waiting out as the market dried up and 
I didn't expect a Paul George trade to come. I, I didn't expect Indiana to go that route. I think they had better offers on the table. I don't think that's a bold statement. And I didn't think the Thunder had that much flexibility in their roster. I mean, they were over the cap. They didn't have a lot of guys coming off. Uh, they they didn't seem to have a ton of guys who were like super tradable. Although they had some solid young pieces. They didn't seem to have any guys who you could look at and be like, okay, that's the guy you could include in the main deal for a star or something like that. But apparently that was extremely incorrect because they did make a big deal for a star and they brought in Patterson on a contract that was a great value but was still the biggest contract they've ever given to another team's free agent in the history of the Oklahoma City franchise. And oh, I, I thought Ray Felton. I thought Ray Felton was a great signing, too. I mean, get him for the minimum. It's a massive upgrade at backup point guard from what they had last year. And, you know, they got some other young guys like Abrinas, Jeremy Grant, who I, I think are really good candidates to improve this year because they're they're still super young. And I, I think they're going to be good this year. The uh, Yeah, the Roberson contract and you were – I remember when your report came out in the in earlier in the year about how he turned down four years, $48 million, and then he ends up with three – um, and 30 it's just, that is just no one must have seen the market crunch coming and I thought I was among the people who thought hey maybe some team will come in and throw him near max money he still can't shoot he shot a terrible percentage on wide open threes last year but his defense is just outstanding he's that perimeter defender who has defensive player of the year potential so to get him at that value and again Patrick Patterson you put it in context with Biombo uh Enos Cantor's making more next season than the life of Patrick Patterson's deal it's just it's incredible to look at what they were able to do and the Paul George I know them going out and signing Patrick Patterson was a bit uncharacteristic but the Paul George trade was really uncharacteristic of the Thunder because you're bringing in this big name who's been linked to the Los Angeles Lakers like crazy he's one year out from free agency you essentially make this deal knowing that he's probably going to be a rental. I think that's the mindset I would assume they went into it with. And yet they still, even if you look at this and say, hey, they're going to lose Paul George, if we just say that, that this trade is still, it just looks spectacular because of what they gave up to get him. Yeah. I mean, look, the Thunder weren't all that high. I think the organization, I don't know if they regretted giving Victor Oladipo that contract, but they certainly weren't nearly as high on that four-year, $84 million extension they gave Oladipo in the fall as they were at the time they gave it to him. I think they were really excited at the time they gave it to him. At the time they gave it to him, they thought Oladipo was going to get a max, was, was going to get maxed out by someone. I think right. they were afraid that Brooklyn in particular was going to max him out at the time they signed him to that extension the following summer. So they signed him to the extension. They figured, okay, we're getting him for what's about $20 million total, less than whatever his max is going to end up being. And they were pretty excited about that. Uh, and then Oladipo kind of underperformed next to Russ. Uh, underperformed, I guess, is the wrong word, but certainly didn't make any sort of massive strides. Uh, he he improved a little bit as a shooter and, and had pretty solid catch-and-shoot numbers, but he at least didn't live up to what that contract is going to be. And if he were to continue to being that player, that contract would overvalue him. And I don't think they were that excited about that contract moving forward. Like, that's a contract that I think they're happy not to have on their books right now for the next four years. And I, I think Vic is going to look a lot better in Indiana than he did in OKC because it's going to give him a chance to handle the ball a little bit more. And like he was a secondary ball handler who had to be in the corner this past season. Whenever your secondary ball handler is also your guy in the corner, then there's something messed up about your offense because you want that secondary ball handler on the wing. And that's part of what made Oladipo just kind of not look as good as maybe he actually is. But they were able to get that off the books moving forward. It gives them more financial flexibility. They like Sabonis. They think Sabonis is going to be good. But if it means bringing in Paul George, like it was, you know, it was like Tim McMahon tweeted the night they made that trade that 
some exec or scout or someone told him that it was the greatest salary dump in NBA history. <laughs> and I don't think the Thunder saw it as like a salary dump of Oladipo, but they were excited to get that contract off for sure. And it brought them Paul George. So it's like, man, like that's that's not a thing you can say very often that you can give up the bigger deal and get the best player. No, not at all. And I think just to go back to Victor Oladipo for a second, his deal obviously didn't look too bad. Uh, in 2016 when all those huge contracts were being given out. And I also think the assumption was, or at least from a distance, that the Thunder were going to give him a little bit more spin as the solo ball handler. And it didn't seem like Billy Donovan really wanted to invest in him as you don't want to call him the the second point guard, but I thought he should have played more with Russell Westbrook off the floor. And maybe that contract looks a little bit better. It's It's a totally moot point now, but, and, Again, it's like you said, it became kind of this albatross on the books. And DeMantis Sabonis, yes, he's a lottery talent, but you ended up with Patrick Patterson. You already have Jeremy Grant. You, you have Ennis Cantor. You, you also have Doug McDermott and Kyle Singler. Is DeMantis Sabonis even close to a necessity at that point? And the answer is just just no. No, he's not. And, like, they, they like Sabonis. They, they didn't trade Sabonis because they don't like Sabonis. Like, they— you talk to a lot of people in that organization. There are people really excited about him. Uh, I think they, I think he's going to end up being like a solid third big man. I think that's probably what his career is. But there, there are some people in that. There are some people in the organization who kind of agree with that assessment. There are some people in the organization who are even higher on him, like people in in legitimate you know positions up there. I'm not talking about you know like the the intern. Like there are. There are people in legitimate positions who think Sabonis is going to be really good. And I think that's true for Indiana, too. I think Indiana probably thinks more highly of Sabonis than than your average organization, too. Uh, they're, they're excited about Sabonis. I think his defensive numbers were good this year, and he moves his feet pretty well. And uh, they think he's going to be end up being a, a pretty good shooter. I don't think they think he's going to be the shooter he was in the first half of the season when he was like a 40-some-odd percent three-point shooter. I don't think that was sustainable, but... I don't think they they think he's going to be the guy who was in the second half of the season either who just couldn't hit a shot. I think they think he's going to get up into the mid-30s and he shot really well during his workouts and and this year was it was uncomfortable for him. Like he they basically told him stand on the wing and do do nothing. Just wait for the ball to come to you and stand on the wing and do nothing. And that's not a role he ever really played before and and I think he was just a little bit out of it and a little bit confused on top of the fact that he's just a rookie and that's naturally going to come to you. But I, I think people like Sabonis, but yeah, if you can trade him for Paul George, like, yeah, you do that a hundred times out of a hundred. Right. And I think the question now of, do we think Paul George is going to stay is, is pretty irrelevant. I, I think the bigger issue might be is, do you think he's coming into this with an open mind um, and really hasn't decided upon his future yet? Or are you kind of of the belief that, hey, you know, the Lakers have been fined for tampering already. He's been linked to the Lakers for what seems like years. The the rumor was going around when he first requested a trade from the Pacers. Uh, do, do you think it's a situation where it is a done deal? Do you really believe that he's coming into this situation? And, and what he's even said, he's basically uh, said he's had this open mind. Do, do you believe that and think that this is what he's doing? I think the door is open for him to come to the Thunder in his mind, to stay with the Thunder, I should say. But like it's barely, barely creaked open and the door is like a like a 500 pound door made of like brick. And <laughs> he he has to use like, you know, a stick in order to pry the door open and it just may not be worth it. Like it's one of those kinds of open doors. I would not expect him to come back here. I mean, look, if they somehow, 
you know, end up having some unbelievable season and something happens with the Warriors and they end up being the best team in the league and just everything goes right. Like he and Russ just hit it off the bat on the court and end off the court from day one. And, and Patterson has a career year and Alex Sabrinas has a huge jump and, you know, makes two threes a game and shoots 42%. And Jeremy Grant, you know, becomes the defender that the, that they hope that he can become. And Steven Adams makes that leap and like is 2016 Western Conference Finals, Stephen Adams just permanently for the whole season. And Andre Robertson defends at a first team all all defense level. And just like everything goes right. And they win 60 games and something happens with the Warriors and they win it. Like maybe, maybe that's how it happens because he thinks this is the greatest basketball, the greatest basketball, you know, place I could possibly be. This is where I'm going to stay. Uh, and maybe he and Russ decide to do it. But I don't think that's his mindset right now, at least from – from what I hear from people around him, from what people around the league say, that it doesn't seem to be anybody's uh, indication of what happened. And I don't think the Thunder believe that he's going to end up saying. I think they hope he's going to stay. I think they're going to do everything that they possibly can to try to convince him to do so. And I think they believe that this is the best spot for him. But I don't think anybody really expects him to be here at the start of 1819. It's kind of interesting, too, because I think you can make a case – I know everyone's going to talk about the Rockets and and still the Spurs, but I think you can make the case that just looking on paper, trying to visualize how Russell Westbrook and Paul George should fit together. Yes, they were. I think they both used like they're two of the fifteen most used isolation players in the league last year. But almost a third of Paul George's shots almost came off the catch, and he's been used to working off the ball in the past next to inferior players compared to Westbrook. And, and you just look at that fit and, and all of that together with Roberson, with Patterson, assuming he's still going to be healthy, with sort of your, I guess, knockoff death squad combinations that they can really come up with. I think they're one of the teams that are going to be able to defend the Warriors better than most. If they do have a record where they're maybe the two seed in the West, or what if they get to the Western Conference Finals and they get bounced by the Warriors. Is that in a vacuum perhaps enough to convince him to stay? Or do you still, maybe he's one of those guys that's going to be the first one to say, hey, the gap between the Warriors and my team right now is is just too big. Going to the Lakers allows him to be part of this uh, kind of rebuild in Los Angeles where he presumably wants to be. And you're sort of biding your time until the Warriors' window closes and I think that's what's so complicated about the situation is while you can envision even if you think it's a long shot the Thunder being the number two seed even though you can see them getting uh, to the Western Conference Finals that may not be enough just because I think players like George of his caliber are going to start looking at that solar system that separates their team they're on right now from the Warriors yeah it, it, it may not be enough uh, you know who who knows on the specifics of it you know, I'm sure he, even he doesn't know on the specifics of it. Like, I'm sure if he were to honestly ask himself, what would be enough to get me to stay with the Thunder? I don't think he could give an answer. I think it's just a thing that has to happen. I kind of think the Thunder's advantage is that he's in OKC for one year. And like what I mean by that is like the Pacers disadvantage was almost that they had Paul George for too long. You're happy at the beginning. You have the honeymoon phase, you know, mm-hmm. and then things sour when you get to know each other and things get real. And like he wants out because they had him for too long. He was there for what, seven years. And I think like if you can have a guy and try to make him try to you know, put him in a position to make a decision on whether he wants to stay with you or go elsewhere. And you do that during the honeymoon period. 
of getting to know each other. You know, you have a good season. He likes his teammates. He likes the organization. He likes where he's living, whatever it is. Like, if that's what you can do, then maybe that's your advantage. Like, maybe convincing Paul George to stay after one year, maybe that's easier to do than it is after two or three. And I don't mean this for Paul George. I mean for anyone specifically. Like, maybe that's easier to do in one year than it is in two or three or four years, especially if you're in the position of, like, an organization like Oklahoma City, which is in Oklahoma City and doesn't sign free agents and is, you know, it's it's just never going to be a marquee place. And maybe maybe that's easier to do in that one year. That's actually a really good point, and it kind of, I guess, allows the Thunder to focus on the fit between Westbrook and George being the, the primary objective, where maybe you don't necessarily have to think about the end result record or how you finish in the playoffs or where you finish in the West. If you can just get these two stars to coexist, maybe that's the selling point, is he knows he's coming into the situation where he, he should complement Westbrook. It's kind of, you don't want to make this comparison exactly but it feels like the thunder on offense are getting this less ball dominant version of of kevin durant and both these guys are going to want the ball at the game on the line and they'll have to develop that synergy but it it seems like just looking at their skill sets and also looking at what westbrook had to go through last year as the lone wolf uh it, it seems like both of these guys should want to make it work and maybe that learning curve won't be as steep as it usually is for uh two players who are on this level yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't I don't know how it's going to work. I'm like so intrigued to see. I have so many theories on so many possibilities on how it's going to happen. Like on one hand, like Paul George was 42% on catch and shoot three-point shots. I think that was like 6th or 7th in the league on on anybody with his with his volume or higher. Like he it was on a decent volume. It was on like 5 or 5-ish attempts from 3 a game on catch and shoots and like he shot 42%, I think it was and He's great at running off screens. He's great at running those curls off of pin downs and just getting the ball and either creating or putting up a catch and shoot from there. Like he's so, so good at that. And keep in mind, nobody on Indiana was as good at setting at setting a screen for him on those pin downs as Steven Adams is going to be for them. Like that's Steven Adams' strength, those off ball and even on ball screens. Like he's great at that. So that's going to be huge for that's going to be huge for George and it's going to be huge for this team. And I could see it working really well. But at the same time, like maybe there's an adjustment period, you know, maybe maybe Paul George wants the ball and Russell Westbrook wants the ball and there's a problem in crunch time or whatever it is. Like I could just see it going both ways. It's it's tough for me to imagine for it to go south at least uh, maybe they'll be at the beginning of the season where, where the thunder start off like three and seven or something and everyone's talking about the sky falling but just after the season westbrook had to labor through where you're looking at non-westbrook players on the thunder uh canned under 31 percent of their wide open threes it seems to me like maybe he would be more willing to um defer uh more or at least be willing to have this split star role with george and even as you point out steven adams he might make this fit a lot easier on the two of them because all of a sudden his ceiling as this pick and roll diver goes back through the roof because there was a clear drop off there last year he wasn't necessarily turning the ball over a lot more in those situations he wasn't his foul rate didn't necessarily plummet but his his efficiency just did and and that all goes into factoring more room for everybody and I, I think that could help make the transition for George and Westbrook together uh, a lot easier and go down a lot quicker yeah I mean they were they were dead last in the NBA in three-point percentage last year and they were really bad on catch and shoots now I think one way to have that three-point percentage improve a little bit is just maybe Andre Robertson shouldn't be taking three threes a game. 
I mean, I, I think that's something that's going to be a goal this year, that they don't really want Andre Robertson taking that many threes. And I think they want to try to use Robertson in a similar way to how they did it during the postseason with using him as a ball screener and kind of as a de facto four offensively when they can. And I think that's going to be something they're going to be able to do in those smaller lineups, especially because Paul George, as we all know from his time in Indiana, doesn't love having to play a position down. And Dre really doesn't mind at all. Uh, and that's kind of one way that's going to help them. But it's also they got Paul George. They've got Patrick Patterson who's a 37% shooter and, and is 40, 41% from the corners too, which is where he's mostly going to be. And like the ball movement's going to help. They're going to play Westbrook. Or they're going to play uh, Abrinas more minutes. They're probably going to play McDermott more minutes. And at the very least, they're going to have him for the full season as opposed to getting him in February. So they're going to have more shooting around. And even if like, even if guys shoot at a worse percentage than you expect them to, there's just going to be so much more space in the middle of the floor for them to operate. And it's going to help with those pick and rolls with Adams. And it's going to help with the pick and pops with whomever they're going to run. And like, it's just going to, the offense is just going to move better. And like I talked about, it's a thing that I wrote uh, last week was like, maybe the biggest problem schematically with their offense last year was that Victor Oladipo was your weak side corner three guy. And the problem with that is that he's also your secondary ball handler. So you're either kicking your weak side corner three guy when you penetrate and guys help off of him. And he's just starting a new play, which is not really good for ball movement. You're just kicking to another guy and he's starting something else or your secondary ball handler is not going to be involved. And, and that's a problem. And he wasn't that great of a three point shooter anyway. I mean, he's, he's fine. He's solid. He's acceptable. And he was pretty good from the corners last year, but he's not like a dominant guy and guys helped off him often uh, when, when there was penetration in the lane. So like being able to have your secondary guy on the wing and have a quality corner three shooter in the corner is going to help them so much from a flow standpoint. Like it's going to be so different. Yeah. And even if they're, their defensive ceiling is only I personally I think gone up with the additions of Patterson and Paul George and if you even piece together an average offense with this team that just makes them so much better and I think the assumption has to be they'll be much better than average in time and I'm interested to see and I wonder whether you think they'll try this when you sign someone like Patrick Patterson do you do so with the intention of really committing to and rolling out those small ball five lineups or do you think it's going to be something that's done in extremely small doses if at all because you do have to incorporate both Adams and Cantor into the mix and I know that latter part that that matters especially because of how much money you're paying them and to, to have that you know 30 plus 35 plus million dollars on the bench at once is a very big deal but it almost just looks perfectly set up like you said Andre Roberson will defend fours you have Jeremy Grant who will do the same you can stick Patterson at the five and you can include Paul George and you have Russell Westbrook you can mix and match with some Alex Abrinas and Doug McDermott in there it just seems like they have the personnel to play that way more so than most teams in the league I I think if we were just to name them yes there's the Warriors and then maybe there's the Rockets but another one uh, and perhaps even the Bucks but another squad doesn't really spring to mind so I'm I'm just interested to see whether that's even on their mind or whether it's just kind of this afterthought they're not even thinking about I think it's certainly on their mind. And uh, I think you kind of, I think the answer to your question kind of lies within the question in that I think it's something they're going to do more in the postseason when they face more of those offenses that they're going to need to have that switchability against and maybe need to have that spacing against. But like Ennis Kanter is a really good regular season player. And he's a guy who I think they're going to run out during the regular season. Not a ton. 
I mean, he played in the low 20s in terms of his minutes last year, and I don't see him being higher than that this year. Maybe he'll be even a little bit lower because they have all those other options at the four where they could play Robertson, they could play George, they could play McDermott, uh, you know, they could play Patterson. Uh, they they've they've got guys who can play. Grant is is not going to play the three much this year. I think he's really going to be their backup four for the most part. So they've got guys who can do that. But I still think they're going to run those big lineups. I think they're what they're excited about is like last year when Kevin Durant left, they had to scramble to create some kind of new identity on the roster. And what they went with was they just went with a ton of bigs and they wanted to be the best offensive rebounding team in the league. And they were almost that, but like they traded for Joffrey Laverne and. They had him and they had Canner and they had Adams and and they had some other guys and they just had like this glut of bigs and it wasn't a very modernized roster and it had its flaws. And I think this year, I think they like being able to have that ability to go big when they need to. I think they do like that. But the beauty of this roster is they've got the versatility to be able to do both. So like last year at times we saw – you know, Billy Donovan close with Jeremy Grant at center. He did that against Detroit. He did that against Houston. Like there were times where he did that. He did that against Houston during the playoffs even. And I think like there are times like if they go up against Houston in like the second round or something like that, like we're we're not going to see Kenner play very much in that series. And that's when we'll see Patterson at the five. We'll see Grant at the five. We'll see those like super switchy lineups. And Houston will probably run some different stuff when uh, when, you know, unless Nene is killing them again. Like when Capella's out of the game, like Houston's going to have those crazy lineups too where they can play like – what is it, Paul and Harden, and uh, they can play Bahamute, and they can play Ariza, and they can play like PJ Tucker, and just have like these like these like crazy seven twenty seventeen e basketball lineups. But the versatility is going to be really nice for the Thunder. And I guess even I didn't really think about this till now, but Patrick Patterson kind of helps them on both fronts because when you when he was in Toronto, one of the things that always amazed me is you put him alongside any big, whether it was Ibaka or. Pirtle or Nagara, like he he just works with any big. So you, if you put him at the four uh, in the minutes that you play Cantor, that makes your big lineups, I think, look a, a lot better too. So I, that's just something that kind of sprang to my mind just now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, a, a a low usage four who spaces the floor, and you know he does he doesn't get you like your fantasy stats on defense, but who can guard a bunch of positions and can switch and is a smart team defender, like that's going to work with everything. Like that's a nice guy to have. Is there one player, and I think it probably needs to be a wing when you look at a Brinus or maybe even Terrence Ferguson or, or Doug McDermott or, or Grant, is, is there someone you're looking to to really kind of pop this year to provide that finishing touch to what the Thunder look like? Because they look like they have all this versatility and I think whatever starting lineup they roll out and whatever their sixth and perhaps seventh guy off the bench those are just going to be mostly known commodities it does still seem like they're going to be fairly reliant um, on these dice rolls so is there anyone that you're kind of looking to on that front uh, who's most likely to and capable of sort of making that leap next year yeah I'm expecting Abrinas to really contribute this year I think he's going to be you're now like okay whose podcast have I said this on now I said this, I went on with Josh Lloyd, and I said this to him, and I said this to Nate Duncan on the Thunder season preview. So this is now like, I'm officially like, I can't I can't get off of it now. I'm like on the Abrinas bandwagon. I'm stuck. There are no more stops. Like I am I am now officially on it, so I might as well tell you too. Uh, I, I think he's going to be really good this year. I, I think he was really good. He, after I think it was December 23rd, I won't. He shot 42% from three on a good amount of three-point attempts. Like that's not low usage. Russ likes passing him the ball, which is a really big thing because he doesn't like passing a lot of people the ball. 
They run a really cool one-two pick and roll, which works really well with Abrinas just popping. And it's really, really difficult to guard, especially like in the regular season when you're playing bad teams and teams don't scout for it. And it's like you're going against a shooting guard who hasn't guarded the back end of a pick and roll in like 12 games. And now all of a sudden he's got to do it against he's doing it right a brain is going to be open every time that situation and he's open often and he hits those shots often um and it's, i he, he's got a beautiful stroke and he's he's a flawed defensive player and they're there he's not you know going to be a great all-around player or anything like that but he's he's a great shooter he moves well off the ball he understands how to how to find holes within within a defense and and get open and all of that and i think they're going to use him running off screens a little bit more this year similarly to how he was used when he was playing in spain I think he's going to be a major contributor. I think he's going to shoot over 40% and he's going to be a big floor spacer and he could close some games for them when they go with like a small Russ, Sabrinas, Robertson, George, and then like either Patterson or Adams or Grant at center. Like they can go with those lineups. And I think those are going to be really closer friendly lineups. And I think he's going to be a big part of, of this season. For some reason, and especially when we're talking about the switchy lineups, I, I all of a sudden just keep coming back to Jeremy Grant. And I, I've tried to figure out the deal with him on offense for a while dating back to when he was just on the Sixers but it seems like in small volume he was okay um from three last year his percentage was actually really good uh, but it, it seemed like that it wasn't this necessarily up and down affair when you even look at his splits like it, it seems like he was semi-consistent um and I'm interested to see what maybe he could do if you're going to use him at the five can can you use him as that uh, undersized diver toward the basket and I think he does he's not going to be the defensive liability you're worried about Abrinas being especially when you pair uh, Abrinas with Westbrook so for some reason I keep coming back to him but uh, even just as you said it seems like Abrinas is just the easier fit to play more given the rest of the personnel that's uh, going to be heavily used for the Thunder yeah I'll tell you what Billy Donovan loves Jeremy Grant Billy Donovan thinks Jeremy Grant's going to be really good and he loves his defensive potential which I get I mean he's He's an incredible athlete, like an amazing athlete. And he's got amazing shot blocking ability. He's a great weak side shot blocker, but he he still gets a little bit overzealous when he's coming over to help too much. Like he's still got that young shot blocker mentality. If that's something that he can improve upon, he can become become a little bit more of like a like a little bit more of a disciplined defender. Like, you know, Serge Ibaka early in his career, he was just a shot blocker. He wasn't a great defender. And then a few years in, he kind of became more disciplined and really became, you know, an all-world defender. And that was when he became great, when the shot blocking numbers actually went down. And I'm not saying that Grant is Ibaka. He's not that good defensively. But he's he's got great potential to be a really good defender. Uh, he can really lock guys down as an ISO guy on the perimeter. You can switch with him because he's such a good athlete. He's so long and... I mean, it's it's there. As for the shooting, like, I wonder how real it is. It's like Ninety some odd percent of those shots were were like wide open on sport views. So, so I mean, I guess it's good that he's only taking shots that are wide open. That's that's a good thing. But uh, you know, it's guys aren't going to guard him. So like, even if he makes thirty eight percent instead of thirty three percent, like, he's not providing spacing either way, which is which is kind of the more important thing. So I don't know if that'll be there. But if he can be a really good defender, it just hits the open threes when they're there. I mean, that's that's a really valuable it's a really valuable player, especially since he could be a defender that can guard multiple guys. I go back and forth on whether the shot attempts are gonna get a lot easier for both him and Andre Roberson or harder because you're not gonna see teams pack the paint as much against lineups that are going to include Paul George or just against lineups that are small in general because 
the Thunder all of a sudden have these, you know, Patrick Patterson and Paul George, they're above average shooters. So I go, it was the same deal with Roberson. He took a ton of wide open threes. He just wasn't making them. And now you have to wonder because these guys are going to be closer to the perimeter. I would assume are his shots going to somehow get more difficult. And, and that would be, that would be just something interesting to watch for me because it seems kind of counterintuitive to talk that way. But the teams, the way they're going to defend the Thunder, it's just going to change. And I think they very obviously were just packing the paint a lot against them last year. That's an interesting point, actually. That's funny. I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good point. That That's true. I don't know. I don't, I don't know which one that is, but that's interesting. Now, the, the backup point guard situation looks a lot better just because now it's Raymond Felton, um, and you also have, I, I think they should. I don't know if they will because Billy Donovan's been, even Scott Brooks when he was there, these coaches have been kind of wild cards with how they stagger minutes. But you have Paul George who can kind of be that secondary facilitator when, uh, or the primary facilitator, excuse me, when Russell Westbrook's on the bench. But Raymond Felton is, uh, he's a big upgrade over Kristen, and uh, that might just help a big deal by default because you're no longer necessarily worried about uh, how the offense is going to run as much without Westbrook on the floor because you have these additional options. I thought that was even one of the more understated signings of the offseason is you have Felton, who is not great, but he knows how to run a pick and roll. Last year, he I actually thought he was very good going up against second and third strings when he was guarding pick and rolls. And then to kind of have that guy who you know is going to play without Westbrook uh, probably 95% of the time, that that's even a small-time big deal, even though the, how, how stupid that sounds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their, their backup point guard situation last year was, uh, can we call it not good? I think we can call it not good. It was not good. It we was call not it tr- good. It might even have been trash or close to it. It was the worst backup point guard situation in the league. Them in Chicago, uh, which is funny because they in Chicago made a Cameron Payne trade where one gave the other their backup point guard. Um, that trade. But yeah, I mean, it was that trade is a crazy trade, isn't it? Right, and look at the Thunder just going out there and making all these rental trades. They they got Taj Gibson, and I think they had a no. We're we're not going to keep him, or maybe they didn't think Tibbs was going to give him way too much money. But th- this kind of aggression from them, it's I, I, I don't. They didn't I don't think they were going to keep Taj Gibson. That right. was a rental. So it's just to do that, it, it kind of proves to your players, including Russell Westbrook, who they clearly want to resign, that we're going to be aggressive. It's it's not like that weird vibe they gave off in 2016 when they flipped Serge Ibaka for Oladipo and, and Sabonis. It, it was kind of like, well, you know, this this makes sense, but it, it's such a weird move to make on, on the surface. Um, it helped them eventually land Paul George. You don't have to question it anymore, but to kind of see them be this aggressive on a front that I would say is pretty foreign uh, to them, I think that sends a message to Westbrook um, and and also George, and and it's moves like that, aggressive wheel spins like that. I would think would appeal to both of them. Yeah, I mean, you know the the Gibson trade, like Gibson was a rental. They they never expected they would have loved to resign him, but they never considered that a, a really realistic possibility. But like that trade wasn't even really a rental, knowing what you know about Cameron Payne now would and and Joffrey Laverne and Anthony Morrow because they were in that deal too take Gibson out of that deal if your salary stuff aside like if if the Thunder traded those three guys for Chicago's unprotected 2018 second rounder which could be like the 31st pick in the draft which is better than like the 28th pick because you don't have to pay guaranteed first round money you can pay a second round contract would you 
would you take like the 31st, 32nd pick in the draft and two years of Doug McDermott for for that package? Like I think the argument can be made that you should that that it's still a better deal, even without the Gibson rental. I think you can make the argument that getting one of those assets in return for that package is knowing what we know now about Payne. And I, I really liked Payne as a rookie. He just seemed very bouncy and, and electric. And I know he has his injury issues now, but he didn't look like he knew what he was doing um, uh, on the court last year. So, so that was bizarre. So looking at that trade, I think you could say that pick, I, I forgot about the, that pick. So you look in those terms, I would say give the Thunder one of those assets that, you know, take away two of Gibson, the pick, um, and Doug McDermott, and I think they still do it, knowing what we know now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, me too. Like it's that trade was they just they they fleeced them in that deal. Now, I, I I can't believe they did that deal. Now, are are you kind of is this the status quo with uh, Russell Westbrook's co- contract situation? Are you is this what you kind of expected? Do you think it's just going to leak um, into next summer? Um, or did you think maybe after the Paul George trade that, hey, this extension's going to get done because even if Paul George leaves, the Thunder have now kind of planted their flag in this approach of we're going to be hyper-aggressive and you can count on us to continue seeking out contender status? I didn't quite know what to expect. Um, I think they thought the extension was going to get done at the time of that I had reported previously they were cautiously optimistic. I I think people in the organization now are are a little bit more. I mean, I I still think they think that he's going to be with them in the future, but I think they're a little bit more nervous now, as they should be. I mean, it's been two and a half months, right? So I don't know what could possibly hold it up. I mean, Russ had enough time to sign a ten year extension with Jordan. Uh, it, it shouldn't take that long to have his agent do all the work and his lawyers do all the work and then have him just like sign his name 10 to 12 times or however many times you have to sign your name. Maybe only once. I don't really know how many times you sign your name on an actual NBA contract to make it. But I have to sign like I'm like I'm like my apartment lease. I have to sign or initial a bunch of times. Right. So I assume on like a contract that's like millions of dollars, you would have to sign more than just once. Right. I would hope it's like at least a dozen times just because of the amount of money you're getting. You think you have to initial as well, or you think you just have to sign? There's definitely – there has to be initials in there. This is the question I never really thought about. Now I'm not going to be able to start, stop thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going to find this out. I'm going to ask this. This is going to be a question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Stephen Adams this question because Stephen Adams is going to give a good answer. Uh, it seemed like he was giving good answers today when you guys were talking to him. Stephen Adams always gives good answers. There has never been a time where Stephen Adams has been available for media and not giving good answers. That, I mean, that seems like a huge bonus, uh, uh, to, uh, particularly to be around the Thunder like that with him. It seems like he would make that uh, a little bit. Even when his answers are just, you don't want to use the word incoherent, when they're not related that necessarily to the question, it, they're just gold. It just seems everything he says is basically gold. He's the best interview in the league, in my opinion. I'm biased. I cover the Thunder. but I, I, I don't I think, think that's a leap to make, though. I don't even know if you need to. How many other guys do you need to interview before you know that most of them are going to just regurgitate the same old cliches? Yeah. I mean, who who else is up there with him? Uh, Draymond is up there with him. Draymond's like a different kind of interview than he is, but Draymond's obviously a great one. Uh, Evan Turner is a phenomenal interview. He's better on Twitter. He's great on Twitter. He's great interview. He's Play, awesome. Playoff LeBron is fantastic. Yeah, LeBron is good. I mean, there 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 are some guys who are really good. Kylo Quinn's great in my experience. He's awesome. Uh, there, there are some guys who are really good. I, I just think Stephen. I mean, Canner, Canner is amazing. 
the two of them Tanner, together seem amazing. Two of them together are are totally ridiculous. I mean, the 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 shenanigans in the locker room with the two of them is just totally absurd. I don't completely. There's probably, and I think this would be safe to say, there's no one in the league who better kind of melds the wacky with the real because Stephen Adams seems to give you guys a lot of substance on a bunch of occasions, but you also have these just hysterical sound bites or videos, these viral moments too, and to kind of meld that all together, I would think is very impressive. And when I'm thinking and racking my brain, I don't, I don't know that there's anybody right now who who does that mixture as well. Maybe Dirk Nowitzki, but on like a much smaller, less frequent scale. Uh, but that's the only one I can really think of at the moment. Yeah, Dirk is awesome. Dirk is great. Um, yeah, no, it's true. It's because Steven's really smart. He's not like... Like there are some players who are like goofballs and they're nice guys and they're funny, but you you ask them something intellectual and they're not going to give you a good answer. Steven is like one of the first guys I go to if I have an X's nose question. Like if I have if I want to talk to him about like the art of of like I, I asked him today, I asked him about uh, if, if he has thought about the fact that he's going to have to set more down screens now that Paul George is here because they didn't really have any guy who ran curls last year. And now they've got a guy who's like number one off ball route is curls. And I asked him that today and he gave me like this awesome answer about screening. And like, he's just, he's great with that stuff. And he's, he's got an amazing basketball mind. So like, he's one of the first guys I go to uh, for those. It was like him and Nick Collison. And it was Anthony Morrow. Anthony Morrow was great with the X's and nose stuff too. And Anthony Morrow was another amazing interview, very different tone. Than Stephen Adams, uh, but Anthony Morrow is like this extremely bright guy who's like very political, and he's like so he's just like smart, and he's always educating himself. Like he loves to read, he loves documentaries, and he's like he's an awesome interview too. I love interviewing Amel, um, but Adams is like yeah, he's the best. He's the best one in the league, I think. He's he's really good, and he he just seems approachable. I think even some of the nicest interviews I've encountered, like and even Giannis Antetokounmpo, who somehow still hasn't been jaded by the whole media availability process uh, he's always given sometimes funny or just really good answers and doesn't seem to try and shirk questions but he just doesn't even as innocent as he seems it just seems like a guy like adams is, is so much more approachable and i think when you're talking about one of the let's say three to four most important players on the team that that's a really good thing to have yeah i mean steve is approachable he makes he's on a 100 million dollar contract and he like drives a pickup truck like right. that's that's what he is that sounds fantastic. Um, I don't even remember what the original point was now. I think it had to do with Who cares? Westbrook. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> Westbrook's contract signature number. Does he sign it a dozen times or just once? Do they e-sign oh, it now? Yeah. Like, does he do it via email? Like, how does this work? I, that's true. I guess it could be. I feel like it's probably not, though, because we always see guys. Guys have to come in to sign the contract, so it's not over email. Because guys do have to, like, fly in to actually sign the deals, or they have to fly to wherever the guys are to get the deals done. That's basically like if, just for show was, at this point, right? Like I can't tell you how many things I've e-signed, even my own contracts over the past. If it was like, if it was e if it was e-signing though, then the Knicks wouldn't have their tiny table, and it would be really upsetting. Oh, the Knicks, awful in every way. They can't even do the most fundamental things right. But the tiny table is great. Yeah, and they do it inadvertently though, because they probably don't even realize that it, that is funny. But it is funny. It's great. Everyone signs it on the tiny table. It's become a great tradition. It's one of my favorite basketball free agency like niche basketball free agency traditions well but it's kind of a, a bittersweet moment because it's like wow this is hysterical but then you almost feel bad for the person because it's like ah oh, damn they play for the knicks now and they're just <laughs> you know when you go into madison square garden it just to cover a game 
it, it just sucks the soul right out of you, or or at least for me. It's nothing like going to Barclays Center, especially with this regime in Brooklyn. It's just Madison Square Garden is just this soul-sucking atmosphere. Um, and so I kind of almost feel bad for some of these players who are walking into that situation, as much as I love uh, the indelible photo op. Uh, man, I have I have like a bunch of I'm from New York, so I have a ton of like all my friends from home are, are Knicks fans and they're like either perpetually upset or perpetually angry and only those two things. Yeah, there's no I it, there used to be like a thing, didn't there? Like maybe five or six years ago where there was this swath of optimistic Knicks fans and I don't think they really exist anymore. You're either just really sad. I have, and I have one friend who is who is the optimistic Knicks fan. He said that he said that he thinks that the Hardaway deal is going to end up being a steal. Just watch. It's like okay. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Uh, anyone who tried to defend that deal to me, I didn't even want to just respond to. I don't even. I, and even the the Derrick Rose stuff, that was just a disaster. That organization is terrible. Um, but back to actually Westbrook. So, do you think that the acquisition? I, I don't want to say that Paul George works against him signing an extension, but did it maybe open his eyes a little bit more to say, well, he's going to hit free agency. I might as well just wait and we can kind of figure this out together at the same time. Do you think that element is in play at all? It's possible. Um, I really don't know for sure. The thing about Russ is that he's just so private. Like he doesn't tell anybody anything. Like while people on Paul George's behalf have constantly said he wants to go to the Lakers, with Russ, it's just like nobody knows. Russ doesn't tell people anything. That's why nothing. He's extremely private personally, and that stuff just doesn't really leak out. So I, I don't really know. I mean, he could conceivably, for all we know, he's waiting because he wants to sign the deal, and uh, you know he can't get a no trade clause if he signs the extension. But he can get a no trade clause if he waits till next summer. That's the one difference between, and he can get the exact same contract. So maybe he wants to wait because he wants the no trade clause. Like maybe he wants to wait because he doesn't want to be there maybe once a week because he wants to see how the season goes or wants to see how Paul George goes I, I'm not sure um, it's really hard to say because he's just hasn't really told anybody to my knowledge what his thought process is right now I would have I don't I don't know that I had a stance after the Paul George happened on whether Westbrook would sign the extension I, I think I kind of leaned towards him doing it uh, and one of the things that's puzzling or factors into that's puzzling why he hasn't is these designated player extensions have almost had kind of a reverse effect, it seems. Like the Kings definitely traded the Marcus Cousins in part because they didn't want to pay him $200-plus million. It seems like the Pacers wanted uh, to keep Paul George, but if he would have qualified for an All-NBA team next year and, and they're staring at that $200-plus million bill, would they have wanted to pay it? I don't think for a second the Bulls wanted to give – uh, Jimmy Butler that kind of money but here the Thunder are they're just ready to pay Russell Westbrook who is probably one of the let's say 10 players in the league if that one of the seven players in the league who I think at this point you just look at and say yeah if he qualifies for it he's just going to get it and the fact that he hasn't signed it uh, amid all this turnover that seems at least in part fueled by the the issue and the amount the cost of these DPEs uh, that all, that also is another intriguing layer of it all to me yeah yeah, no, there's no question. I uh, I'm a name drop right now. Oh, I'm I excited. Asked, I asked Adam Silver about that at uh, in at his press conference in Vegas in July. Like, I asked him if he was worried that these designated player exception extensions, uh, the fact that they've kind of having a reverse effect, and and if he's worried about that, and he kind of talked about unintended consequences and said that 
for now the sample size is too small and we'll we'll see what happens which is a perfectly fair answer uh but but you're right i mean we we've, we've seen it go the opposite way in a lot of other in a lot of other in a lot of other places you know demarcus cousins is another one the kings just didn't really want to give him give him that contract and you have trading him i mean it's it's it is weird how it's gone the opposite way but there's always like something where there's unintended consequences that ends up having a, a large effect on the league from from the CBA. Like the last one, it was extensions, right? Extensions were all messed up, and maybe this will be it. I mean, we'll see how it goes in the long term. We got a bunch more years of this, but maybe this will be the CBA's thing. Do you think? And I guess this would impact you maybe more than the players, but that these, let's say Westbrook doesn't sign the extension, so you have him and Paul George both slated for free agency. Do you think that that storyline is something that could adversely impact this team? Uh, I know a lot of players talk about how they don't let the noise get in, but when you're talking about two players who are as good as George and Westbrook, if if their futures are up in the air, and you're talking about a small market team in Oklahoma City who is still set up, they won't. If both these guys leave, they won't have a bad contract on the books. Cantor will be expiring. Adams will be making a ton of money, but I don't think he would be a movable. And then you're looking at a bunch of other. Uh, cheap deals so they wouldn't necessarily be in the worst situation especially given that they've drafted fairly well in the Sam Presti uh, era but do you think that just the prospect of losing not one but two players who are this good could I don't just get to this team in any way shape or form it's possible sure I mean locker rooms are fragile last year this team had a really good locker room they had a really good locker room but like as we all know that that can change with one guy or two guys. I mean, I've seen no signs of that happening so far. But sure, it's it's possible. I mean, if they're winning, I don't think it'll happen. If 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 everything goes wrong, maybe some guys get hurt and they start losing, or they just start losing because they're not playing well and it's not working. They're like really not good. Then maybe because you know with teams that underperform, that stuff tends to happen. But if they're winning, it's it's certainly possible. It's always possible when you add new ingredients that something gets messed up. Uh, but I, I feel like that would only really happen if they if they were losing. Now, I guess to kind of put a bow on their preview, we we typically ask for pessimistic and optimistic pro- projections for, for these teams, like a basement and a floor, if you will. So what do you have? What would be your pessimistic take on this season for the Thunder? I think my the absolute worst-case scenario is, is they like just suck coming out of the gate. They just can't put it together. And I assume this is like injuries aside, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, because like worst case scenario is just like everybody gets hurt. Yeah, right. Uh, worst case scenario, honestly, is like North Korea shoots a missile at us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or it's just like NBA the- season is, is canceled because we all die. The Thunder's that's yeah, and I, or the Thunder's chartered plane goes Amelia Earhart or something. It's that that yes, would be that's, one of the worst. That's case that's definitely the worst case scenario. Yeah. So, other than that, like realistic worst case scenario, like they just suck coming out of the gate. They they can't put it together. Russ and Paul George bicker. Um, they they can't make it work on the court. Patterson has like one of his because he's streaky just ends up having like a really extended slump to start the year McDermott can't guard Abrinas doesn't get better uh, Adams like who sometimes has those absent moments just has it for a long time um, Grant doesn't improve uh, Robertson just keeps chucking up threes and isn't making them and isn't quite as good defensively as he was last year um, you know Russ Russ just wants the ball all the time Paul George wants the ball all the time it doesn't work 
and it comes to February and they're like 18 and 26 and they have, they deal Paul George and, and maybe Russ, probably not Russ, uh, but maybe he's so miserable and that time something happens and they deal Paul George and they finish with like a win total in the high thirties. Like, I think that's the absolute worst case scenario, but I think there's an extraordinarily small chance of that happening. Like that's the worst possible thing that I can think of where it's like there's a non-zero chance of that, but I think it's extremely small. Best case is like high 50s. Everything goes right. They're like a top three defense and like a top eight offense and they're, they they win 58 games and are you know the second best team in the league next to Golden State and go to the Western Conference Finals. I, I think it's really possible. And I, I picked them at 52 wins. Like I think they're going to be really good. I think you're going to be really good. I think I have them fourth in the West, but I think third in the West is very possible uh, because I, I, the Spurs, I just put third because out of respect, because like they're the third, the Spurs, but I think the Thunder's roster is better than the Spurs. That I, I'm right there with you. I just give the Spurs the benefit of the doubt every year because it's been basically seven years of them uh, expect you expect a decline every couple of years and then they just go and win 60 games. Uh, I was interested. I'm interested that your floor was so low. I guess I just don't see if if Patterson's not right. I mean, I was almost relieved uh, when we heard about his arthroscopic procedure because he wasn't good in the playoffs. But he, you know, that knee had an issue last year. Maybe he just rose back too soon. So now the issue's being addressed, and perhaps that makes him better. I just don't necessarily see a situation where this team would enter the All Star break even close to under 500. And I guess I'm just so sold on the potential for a seamless fit between Westbrook and George. And the risk is always there when you have two polarizing players like them, but it just seems just functionally. It just, I look at this roster. I'm like, how could it really not work? And even when you kind of bake in, well, Roberson will probably still miss some threes. Maybe Jeremy Grant regresses to the mean. Maybe you don't get enough out of the pick and roll combination with Steven Adams, but there are just so many different parts that I like when looking at this roster. I, I would be shocked to see them finish any lower than fifth in the Western Conference next season? Yeah, I mean, real, I, I, I'm, I'm picking them at 52, so I think they're really good. But I just, I believe in the snowball theory. I think that in any given scenario, especially new ones when teams are trying to make stuff work, that things can snowball in either way. And sometimes it can be a positive. Like sometimes it can just be good on good on good. Like sometimes you can just be the Cleveland Indians in September, you know, and it's just like it just you just keep winning games over and over again. It's just the good builds on the good and everybody's happy and it just works out amazingly. And and sometimes, you know, the opposite can happen, too. And I'm with you. I mean, it's so talented. It's such a talented team and the fit works like the roster just makes sense. Right. Um, and, and there's they're a little bit. I mean, the shooting, they're not going to be a great shooting team, which is probably their biggest flaw on the roster. But I don't think they'll be a bad shooting team. I think Can't they'll get be any worse. Yeah, exactly. And they'll probably be somewhere in the middle of the pack. And like, yeah, like you said, they're certainly going to be better than they were last year. So, like, yeah, I think they're going to be really good. And I think I think they're probably the best suited them in Milwaukee are probably the best suited to guard Golden State in the league, which is going to be really nice for them considering they play Golden State four times and they have a chance to go. I don't see why they, they can go to the Western Conference Finals. Like I think they're in the same league as San Antonio and the same league as Houston. That would be, I, I think I'm with you, the the Warriors-Thunder matchup in the Western Conference Finals would be just the most entertaining matchup to me. That would be really fun to cover. I would be excited about that. That would be fun. 
Yeah, I mean, this obviously Houston, Golden State, and I think Houston's switchiness in certain lineups will be huge, but the Thunder have that ability to stash someone at shooting guard uh, who's going to be able to make all those rotations that James Harden isn't going to make uh, for the Rockets. And while we can talk about how much energy Paul will conserve now on offense to expend on defense where he's basically just this homicidal maniac when he's there, uh, his height, it puts him at a disadvantage. So you just look at the Thunder from positions two through five, and they could really mess up some teams defensively. And I think that would be they would be best suited just looking at the personnel, assuming everything goes right. They're probably, to me, the team best suited in the West to challenge the Warriors over the course of a seven-game series. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Houston has a really nice roster for that, too. Like, we talked about Houston's, like, positional versatility there, too, and, and they have a really nice roster for that, too. Both those teams, I mean, the top of the West is just ridiculous. All four, all four of those teams are so good. I mean, those are four of the six best teams in the NBA, maybe four of the five best teams in the NBA. I mean, they're they're really, really good. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the Thunder are going to be exciting. The West is going to be exciting. Um, I want to thank Fred for hopping on with us. This was extremely enjoyable. And again, I'm super pumped to kind of see where the Thunder land in the West. And you uh, made me even more intrigued by some of the stuff uh, you dropped. If you want to get at Fred on Twitter, his handle is at Fred Katz. That's F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. If you want to talk to me, I'm at Dan Favalli. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. You can get at Andy Bailey. He is at Andrew D. Bailey. As always, please follow the at Hardwood Knox account um, and also the at NBA underscore math account. Since Andy is not here, I do not have to give a shout out to Benno Udre unless Fred is objectionable to me skipping over that. So until next time. <laughs> Wherever you go, however you go. For energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. 5-Hour Tea with caffeine from Green Tea Leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. 5-Hour Tea. Caffeine from Green Tea Leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of 5-Hour Energy. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.